run. Hello and welcome back to Here's What You Could Have Run podcast. Hope you've all been making the most of finally being able to run with your mates. I've not really made much advantage of it myself as I've picked up an injury last month with the silly mileage doing the accumulator. So I've mostly been hobbling around and feeling a bit envious. Although given the atrocious weather over the last few days, maybe being stuck inside isn't so bad after all. Since last podcast, there's been a few notable news items. The Great Norse Run, which was due in September, has been cancelled. That's 55,000 runners were due to run the half. And sadly, they're all going to be either refunded or rolled forward into next year. Obviously, it's not looking good for London Marathon when big events like this are being cancelled. And the race director of London, Hugh Brazer, was recently interviewed for Women's Running Magazine, where he said they currently have as many as 11 different scenarios of what they're going to do with the race. So we'll have to keep our eyes peeled on that. They're due to make an announcement within the next week or so. We've also recently seen both England Athletics and the Trail Running Association have extended their ban on racing until the end of July. So that's a whole other bunch of races also cancelled. Of course, if you were sensible, you might have got your races in earlier this year, which is where our next interview comes in, as it took place in January. The Spine Challenger is a sister race to the Full Spine, which you might have heard of last year when it was won outright by Yasmin Paris, with much media coverage of how she not only smashed the course record whilst beating all the men, but did that whilst expressing milk for her baby at the same time. The Spine is a 268-mile race, whilst the Challenger is 108 miles. On the face of that, you might think the short event is easy, but it's anything but, and competitors need up to 60 hours to finish it. We'll be talking to Chris about this, and I wanted to get him on to explain the race and try and convey the stark difference between this race and what most of us might know as a normal 100-miler. I've run a few of the Centurion 100s, for example, when I did the Lakeland 100 last year, I was quite shocked at the jump up in difficulty. The Spine Challenger is a whole other level harder than that again. I've known Chris for eight years, and if you've read the book, then you might remember it was him who invited me along to my first running session with Lakeside Runners and got me involved in the murky world of running clubs. And it sort of snowballed from there with race after race. Basically, Chris has been a bad influence on me ever since. I've recently been writing the second book about my gradual transition to ultras and a lot of the chapters of that are ultimately the fault of Chris asking me to pace him for a section of an ultra, often an ultra I've never heard of, I wasn't even sure where it was in the world. Went along, had no interest in running the event myself, but after pacing along for sections of it, kind of the seed sown and next thing you know, a couple of years down the line, you're towing the start line ready to race the same event. Everyone should know someone like Chris because at least you've got someone to blame your race choices on. Or at the very least, when you're stuck on a wet hill in the middle of the night, you can scream out his name in anger. Chris is a very accomplished runner and has a number of race wins and top 10 finishes at serious races like the Lakeland 100, so he's anything but average. At the 2015 version of the Autumn 100, the only person who managed to beat him was the race director himself, James Elsom. Chris has run sub three marathons and 15 hour 100 milers, all whilst holding down a full-time job and a family. So he really is testament to what you can achieve with hard work and commitment. He's an amazing athlete, but as you'll find out in the interview, the Spine Challenger is a race that pushed him well beyond anything he's done before. 
Right, with me now is Chris, who is here to talk about the Spine Challenger that you did earlier this year. Thanks for coming, Chris, and tell us a bit about yourself. No problem. Uh, so yeah, my name's Chris, uh, Chris Brookman, uh, and I, I did the Spine Challenger earlier this year, um, but I've been running now for uh, about 10 years, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I first got into, into running. I was one of those... Uh, those people that were repeated um, applicants for the London Marathon, and I just uh, <laughs> got lucky. <laughs> so I, uh, I think I'd I'd applied four or five times, and then uh, in two thousand and nine, um, I think it was back then when they had the the ruling that you you applied X number of times, and then you got an automatic. Oh, yeah. I think I got in off the back of that, but anyway, I I I kind of signed up for that, and. Uh, did a, uh, what a lot of people did back then, is uh, bought a copy, a copy of Runner's World and ripped out the training <laughs> program and thought, oh, I'll, uh, I'll have a go at that. And see That's all what... you need, isn't it? Runner's yeah. World and the ballpoint pen, you're laughing. That's right. So uh, I'd done, like before then, I'd, I'd done a couple of half marathons, but, you know, that was over sort of a 10-year stretch, really. So I hadn't, uh, you know, I just kind of turned up and tried to run, tried to run one. Um so yeah, I got uh, got kind of hooked on the bug there. I did the, did the training for for that, and then um, had a bit of a gap for six months or so, and I just kind of got out of the running kind of habit um, and decided that actually, if I was going to kind of continue doing any sort of running, I probably should join a club um, just to get my bum out the door, particularly in the evenings. Yeah, and, uh, in the and in the winter. So uh, that's when I joined the running club. And um, yeah, kind of just carried it on from there, and have completed sort of various various events over the years. Um, so, what brought you sort of away from marathons and towards ridiculously long ultras? Then, uh, well, it was originally it was a, a friend's fault at the running club. Really, yeah, he, uh, he decided it was a good idea if some of us signed up for for an ultra, which I think at that stage was the Lakeland Fifty. I think it was my okay. first. Um, back then it was a, a relatively low key event so I think uh, that was in 2011 um, and it had been around for a couple of years and it's grown into something bigger over the, over the years but uh, it was a relatively low key event and you could you could sign up um, you know a, a month or so before they still had spaces so I think we, we signed up after Christmas sometime um, and thought it'd be good to have a bit of a bash at but we had no idea what we were doing training-wise or, or anything, really. So I yeah, think... That's not an easy 50 to start with, is it? No, it's not. Um, I think in preparation for it, we'd... I, I think I might have run... I ran about a spring marathon and I was still trying to sort of PB marathon-wise um, and do well there. And then we just had no idea how to train. So I don't think we did anything over a marathon to sort of... <laughs> anything like that it was um yeah it was a bit of wing it and I, I specifically remember um not having any the right kind of shoes for it so being you know generally all road running we just had the usual normal trainers and um literally i think two days before i went to um went to the shop and just bought a pair of adidas uh, <laughs> the, like the, the, the things with some shoes with the biggest kind of lugs on i could find yeah. from a a high street um, retailer 
and uh, and use them and they actually absolutely caned my feet all <laughs> um yeah so in, in, in back to your question initially it was a a friend that got me into it um we just thought it'd be a bit of fun and um once i'd done once i'd done the 50 um you kind of always just wanted a bit more and i guess that was a bit with a marathon as well really it was like okay well what else you know could i do because you never think um you know i never set out thinking i could ever run 50 miles at all um i just couldn't comprehend it and i think at that time you know the, the times that we were looking at were sort of around the 16 hour mark or something for, for those kind of events and you know you just couldn't comprehend how you could be out for so long and um you know i had a I had a really bad head torch from the first run, which was literally something you might get out of a pound shop. <laughs> it, had this, it just basically gave up halfway round. Um, and, you know, now I would recommend always that like, that's probably one of your biggest pieces of kit in terms of expense and making sure it's really good. But, um, yeah, I, I just remember having this, this really bad head torch that was literally, I think it was from a pound shop or something ridiculous, it was like five quid. <laughs> and uh, that was a big mistake because you spend most of your time in the dark. And, uh, yeah, it's not fun being in the, in the lakes in the, in the dark. So No, it's, yeah, there's not like, a lot of street lighting or something. It's not like running around no. middle of <laughs> London at midnight, is it? That's right, not at all. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's what got me in, into it really. Um, and then from then, um, I've just always sort got of carried thought, away. Yeah, got carried away really. So it's given me a bit of, it gave me a bit of confidence at the time that I could do a bit more. So I think the following year I went back and did the, the 50 again. Um, I'm a bit of a love affair with that race. I've been up there many times. Um, but yeah, we did the, I think I did the 50 in 2012. Um, and then I'd done some other marathons and bits sort of in between the lead up, but I managed to knock, I think about four hours off of my time the second time around, oh, just sort of knowing, uh, what you're going to go through and, and understanding it a bit more. And then, yeah, just got a bit carried away. I think the following year I did the hundred. Yeah. I did a hundred up there in 2013. Um, and and that's that's a hard hundred, isn't that sort of fifty percent uh, DNF rate? It's not like one of the yeah, nice centurions. It's yeah, most people or fifty percent don't even finish it. That's right. It varies from year to year. I think depending on the conditions at the mm. time. But yeah, it's it's easily a fifty percent um, fifty percent DNF rate there. Um, it's got slightly less over the years as the events become more popular and. I think people have been had to be a bit more selective about their events, um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely a uh, it's definitely a tough one. As was the uh, the spine challenger. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean that that's a bit of a step up. It's only a, a few miles extra, isn't it? But do you want to explain what the spine yeah, challenger is then? Sure. So the, the spine challenger. Uh, well, there's two races over over the weekend, and there's a winter and a summer version of these races. So. Um, yeah, naturally, I picked uh, the, uh, the easier one and went for winter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, naturally, I picked the harder one. Um, but the, yeah, the spine, the spine uh, weekend always happens about the second weekend in January, around the 10th of January. And um, there are two races. One starts on the Saturday, one starts on the Sunday. Um, and they follow the Pennine Way. So the, the actual spine race 
follows the entire length of the Pennine Way, which I think is 268 miles or something like that. It's all, okay. all the way from Edale in Yorkshire up to up into Scotland. Um, and that starts on the Sunday. Um, and that's a, that's a hardcore race. Um, and then the Spine Challenger starts on the Saturday, so the day before. And uh, that covers um, 108 miles of the Pennine Way, straight up from um, Edale to um, Hardraw or Hawes, that, that kind of area. Um, and that's 108 miles, uh, that race. Um, now, the Pennine Way is <laughs> probably best described as a bog fest. <laughs> the, the terrain is... Um, well, the the views and the, it's actually beautiful. I think if you do it in the summer, it would be, um, and you had good weather, it would be yeah. amazing. So the summer, I should probably give the summer event a go at some stage. Um, but the 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 event in January, obviously, you've got very little daylight. Uh, the weather is uh, is can be very um, horrific. Horrific, yeah. yeah. We say. Uh, and for huge chunks of it it is you it is like a bog fest you're going across bog um and over quite you know mile stretches of it they've placed these huge flagstones so you can actually navigate your way across the pennine way because there would be you just wouldn't be able to cover the ground um at all walking you know in in, in any shape or form mm. if areas that hadn't put this these flagstones so um you know they're a bit of a welcome a welcome break when you find them every now and again but um, naturally they don't last very long before you end up end up in the bog. Uh, so, the um, of how hard it is like the cut off 60 hours isn't it so that's that's right yeah, yeah so I mean, that's, of, that's four sort of 15 hour marathons which sounds an absolute piece of cake but again there's <laughs> yeah. more than a 50 percent dropout and you compare that to centurion it's you know, there's normally one about 15 hours and then the course record for the challenge is 23 hours. So it's, you know, it's right. nearly 10 yeah. hours harder than your average centurion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, to put it into context, I think I, I've, I've done one of the centurion hundreds, which was the autumn hundred. And I think I, I did that in just over 15 hours, 15, 20, something like that. Because um, that's pretty runnable. Um, but this race I finished in um, 34 hours so you know it's, it's, it's 20 hours almost 20 hours <laughs> um, so that adds um, that adds to the challenge and also um, it was the longest race I've ever done in terms of time so I've mm. never been my feet for 34 hours I think the most I've been out on my feet for is 26 28 hours before you want to slow down because you can make the uh the Lightning Hundred last that long if you're as good as me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you get value for money, don't you, Mark? I That's do. God, I was there forever. Value you for had money. To pay tax. I was in the Lake <laughs> District so long. <laughs> Accountable tax. Yeah, value for money. So uh, yeah, you did. You're. Uh, yeah, that's. That's a good way to look at it, it's getting good value for money out of your event. You? Yeah, that's exactly what I thought when I was swearing at you. Making use of all the aid stations. To answer, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, so yeah, I think the, what makes it particularly challenging um, in comparison to other events I've done is absolutely the time of year. So the weather conditions can be horrific. And we had um, 
we were on the edge of storm Cara coming in. I think it was Cara, one of the storms we had in January anyway. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> the first um, sort of 10 miles or so, you, you go up uh, Jacob's Ladder and get up onto the top and it's very flat. Um, and you go through Kinder Downfalls, which is beautiful um, in, uh, on a summer's day, but it was actually not blowing down, it was blowing back up and you had to cross it. Um, and at some point, I think there were two points I was blowing off my feet. Um, and everybody had these numbers that were um, stuck and, and pinned onto, uh, generally on your race packs for an ultra, you tend to put it on your pack rather than on yourself. And um, <clears throat> by the time we all came off of there, all the numbers had gone. Um, they'd just off, completely blown off of people's packs. So there were probably hundreds of numbers up there that needed retrieving. You'll get disqualified for littering then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so the weather plays a big part, a big part in it. Um, and that we coupled with the lack of daylight and the, um, the terrain that you're trying to cover and the cold can, uh, has a big pack factor to play in it. Yeah. Which, it was one of the reasons I wanted to do it because um, I wanted a bit of a challenge to, uh, to see how I could go. Right? You wanted to test your life insurance, make sure it's still in Yeah, 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 just, just test the old life insurance. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously it's a challenging race, how do you qualify, how do you enter it? Do you need to qualify with so, points or anything like UTMB or do you just prove that you're, you're good enough or that you're daft enough? Yeah, um, I think you have to prove that you're, yeah, you're daft enough for me. <laughs> um, there are I seem to remember when I signed up for it, it wasn't the usual um, straightforward process of you go online and um, you know pay your money and away you go. Um, I think you had to submit a form with evidence of um, some race, a race that you've done before, particularly. Um, so I think I used Dead Lakeland 100 for, for it that I've done uh, beforehand. So I think they, they want you to have done um, a minimum of race. Now I can't remember whether it was a 50 or whether it's a 100, but basically. Uh prove that you weren't coming off the back of just doing a marathon maybe and well, you've done a couple of park rounds and so you go yeah that's yeah. right so um and and then they come back to you and say you've been accepted and then you you pay that way so that's there is an entry criteria uh, for it um which i think for this race in comparison to others i've done i could probably is understand it it's mm. well worth them you happen to have done that because you wouldn't want to be going out there in, in those conditions and not having, you know, they say, I've done a couple of park runs or something like that. No, I've seen a few people at the, the start in the Lakeland 50 who looked a bit underprepared, shall we say, and you think, yeah, there's, you, you need something even worse at the worst time of year. You definitely need sensible people with decent kits. So was there a, a detailed kit list for this? Yeah, so the uh, the kit list for this was um, extensive, shall we say? So um, I'd I, I've because I've done a few quite a few ultras. I've generally got bits and pieces of kit that I bought put together over the years. Mm. You know, you upgrade something and you spend a bit more money on on something else and replace it. So you can normally just pull all the kit together um, first off. But uh, for this, there was a uh, yeah, quite a significant difference in the in the kit. So some of the more unusual things you needed were um, some ski goggles or any any kind of goggles. They couldn't be glasses. They needed to cover your your eyes. Um, 
you needed ice spikes um, oh, nice. didn't need to use because the weather was just horrendous and wet um, you have to have a, a sleeping bag you have to have some kind of mat to to lie on so uh, whether that be a roll mat or something that packs down a bit a bit smaller um, and you have to have numerous sort of base layers and, and, and that you also have to have carry a little stove <laughs> to uh, uh, light it and cook it cook on it um, interestingly the, the kit list is the same for the challenger as it is for the for the full spine race so they're exactly the same kit list the only difference is um, you need to I think it was 3,000 calories worth of food you needed to take with you from the beginning the spine there's various checkpoints that you have to leave with that amount so you have different drop bags along the way okay um so so yeah the kit list is pretty extensive and um it it, it can get quite expensive so you know you can buy a cheap sleeping bag um but you need a pack that's about 80 liters to be able to carry that and everything else um so i try to keep costs down as much as i can with a kit list um and i don't i love kit and i love buying kit but only if i'm going to use it so uh, i try to keep on the the kind of ethos of um i'll spend the money in kit where i know i'm going to use it again and um but i think it's going to get the most use so i brought i bought a gore-tex gore-tex jacket a montane gore-tex jacket um, that was quite expensive and I generally wouldn't have used, wouldn't have bought something mm. like that, that, you know, that kind of, exp that expensive, but I thought it was important to spend the money on the stuff that was probably going to take the hammer in rather than something keep that was, you alive, yeah. yeah, rather than just in my pack kind of thing. <clears throat> so, um, and luckily we had Christmas around sort of as well, so I could bribe a few people to, to get a few bits and pieces for me then, um, which was always good. So uh, <laughs> the ski goggles sounded <clears throat> quite, um, yeah, I thought, oh, I'm never going to use them, you know, but there were actually in this race, for, for this race, I think possibly first time ever, they, uh, they were mandatory. You had, they, they put um, marshals out on the course and you weren't allowed to leave until you'd gone past them until you'd put your goggles on because yeah, they were man. going blind um, because the wind was so bad. So there were places where you had to wear them. So, so this is a race where there's a risk of going blind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I get. It. Yeah. If you, you make it sound great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm really selling this, aren't I? Yeah. Um, and luckily my goggles were good enough, but they were a ten pound pair off of Amazon that were some like hardware goggles. They weren't ski goggles or anything. Oh, there you go. Because you couldn't have tinted lenses. I couldn't find any without tinted lenses. So um yeah but i think the kit list changes every year so um well not it changes every year it adapts what qualifies one year might not the next okay. year to go through quite an extensive kit check so there, there is a big kit check then is it when you register yeah you get um it's a bit of a potluck i think depending on um where they either work off race number or surname and if you depending on what category you fall in, it depends whether you have to have your whole kit checked or whether you just get certain items checked. Okay. You you don't know how that's going to be until you get in the room when they do kit check. Um, but it's quite tense. You see people getting a bit stressed that um, 
you know, because they won't let you continue if you haven't got pieces of kit or they don't they don't meet the requirements. Yeah, I mean, even Centurion do it, don't they? If you've not got the bit they check, then yeah. go home or buy something from the shop that's handy that's located right. in the foyer. And um, they're very, I mean, to be fair, these, uh, what I have found is that these Montaigne sort of sponsored, endorsed events are generally really well organised um, and they're, they're run by people that, that um, are experienced in that field. Mm. And um, beforehand, the, the list of requirements and what you needed to bring and what would pass kit check and what wouldn't was um, extensive. So um, you can't, there was no excuse really for turning up with a wrong bit of kit. Um, and you know what it's like, Facebook, the Facebook page was just full of kit questions for months to months. <laughs> I bet it was, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, there, was a, there is a kit, there is a, a kit list. Um, I feel done the day before, is it the kit check? Yeah, so uh, that was the Friday before. So we went, we went up the Friday um, uh, in our, we got also in camper van. So um, myself and the missus went up there the day before and um yeah got a kit checked and everything had something to eat stayed over and then we almost stayed exactly at the race start started the, the following morning so um yeah it's uh it's always a bit of a nerve-wracking time even though you know you've got all of the kit you're just worried that, especially there because um you're in the middle of nowhere trying to get something would be yeah it's not just like a a little i mean centurion and that have most of the kit i think laid out that you could buy if you didn't have something on the day so yeah, that wouldn't, wasn't happening here. So you had all the kit, you registered, then you got your head down and tried to kit for the night then? Yeah, yeah, so we, uh, yeah, we just get, we just kept on and uh, as best you can really the night before. And um, yeah, waited for the start. I think um, one of the races I've been most nervous about actually. Because um, you might go blind or die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you might fall off a cliff or like get lost in bog. Um, you know, I'd, I had been, um, had been up there and, and done a bit of wrecking on the, on the course. So, um, I think I'd done, I'd done most of it, if not all of it, um, over three kind of days. And I did, I did one in, I did the bit from Edal in, um, the first 25 miles or so from Edal in September um before and it was beautiful in fact it was a really warm day it was you know it felt awesome you know, this is gonna be brilliant and then i decided to go back up there on my own in december and to try to do some wrecking because it's the pennine way and it's straight up it's not easy to do logistically on your own because you have to get to one point and then try and get a train or public transport back back and it's um it's not a loop um, that's where a lot of these are loops or have good transport leads yeah. Somebody in the middle of nowhere anyway I went in December where I went up there early December and they had loads of um, they'd had loads of snow up there but um, we hadn't had anything down here and you know you know Mark from living in this part of the world we're sort of flatlanders really that yeah. um, are a bit naive to anything like that and you know if we do a long run and we get 800 feet of climbing then during that long run we consider that to have been a really tough you know really long run um but uh, obviously when you're up in the, the peak district it's you might have one climb that's 800 feet so <laughs> um, but i i set out on my on my own um and i think I, it was i was doing about 30 miles and i was expecting it to take 
I, I don't know, six hours or so. Um, but what I hadn't anticipated was the snow that they'd had up there. And there were points um, that I was um, near Penny Ghent, actually, the climb up before there. Um, no one had been up and it had snowed a couple of days earlier. So it hadn't, wasn't sort of that night. I thought a lot of it would have gone by now. Um, but there were points of it where I'm not particularly tall, but like it was way steep and no one had been up this track. Um, so I was trying to use the GPS, which is just a mandatory kit for the race. And I was just trying to get used to using it um, and to try and work my way up. But I just kept going off track. I couldn't find the right way. Horrendous. And it just, it, it took me, I think, about 10 hours to do this, this recce that I was expecting to take like six or something. I completely underestimated it. Um, and it was at that point I thought, you know what, this is going to be, this is going to be difficult. It didn't put you off. Uh... It did in, at times, yeah, I was, there was probably quite a lot of expletives going on, I think. <laughs> When I was out running, or not really running, that was the problem. Just couldn't cover the ground. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'd, uh, so I had wrecked most of it beforehand, um, which I always find helps a bit with um, with races. Although I can never remember it all, it does. It kind of gets you a bit more used to the terrain, um, and you can anticipate some stuff that's coming, and and uh, you sort of roughly know where you are. Um, even if you're not, you know, down to exactly where you are on the map, you've got an idea of how long it might be to the next place. Yeah, and I guess you know the flat bit coming up to make the most of, or yeah, yeah, yeah it might be the last flat bit for five hours, so make yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I had it a bit before, so I did know what was what was coming, um, albeit in slightly different weather. Yeah. So on the start, then it starts eight o'clock Saturday morning. Like it's right. early January, and yeah, yeah, you're starting a race that could take you to Monday night with a sixty-hour yes. cut-off. That's yeah, sixty <laughs> hours you could be on your feet, which is yeah. more than most people work in a week. <laughs> so, what point do you question your poor life choices that led you to that point? <laughs> um, well, actually, like I think when you, st I find when you you stood on the start line. <clears throat> You, you, are, you sort of question yourself a bit then. The weather's bad. You can you look to the weather forecast. doesn't matter how many times you kind of uh, flip the screen on your phone. It doesn't get any better. Um, so you know it's going to be pretty horrendous uh, from a weather perspective. So I think you're a bit nervous then, but you, you're not at the approach where I'm not doing this, I've, you know, because you're, you're committed. Mm. Uh, the stage... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the, for, for me personally, the stages after that are, um, you know, once the race is on, that's where any doubt comes in and uh, the kind of demons set in mm. and like, it's just a stupid idea, why am I doing this? I can't do this. Um, all of that, that kind of thing sets in. So, um, yeah, I just you just kind of get yourself into approach just to get on with it. Um, I don't... You know, in terms of pacing and what, how I sort of set out, I just try to run kind of to feel. Um, and my kind of approach over the years has changed slightly. So I used to go out a bit sort of hell for leather um, and then kind of die badly in the yeah. second race, um, which I've done many a times. Um, but I take, I try to run to feel a bit more, but still, um, I mean, for this, I was out running out with sort of the top, 
uh, 10 kind of guys and we were girls we were sort of going back and forth for a while but that doesn't necessarily mean anything because you know change over a race that long positions and stuff change all the time so um and then i there are parts that you just have to walk and kind of march up because you're on the climb so there's no point um trying to really push it hard up those um, and then run wherever you can um, because what happens is later on you just automatically slow down and your brain wants to walk all of the time anyway so yeah but it does try to get the miles in while you can really um so did yeah. you have a so you didn't have a particular pace or anything it's just run to feel and see how you get on yeah it's a bit that that's where these kind of events really do differ from a marathon i think Mark. they i don't um i don't ever really have a, a you know when you're in a marathon you're kind of looking at you think well i need to do this many minute miles i'm always you're always looking at your watch yeah work out where, where you're on pace these events um particularly when there's weather um involved in conditions that you're not necessarily in control of you just have to run to what what however the day pans out so you want to always do your best in in anything whether that's you, know, you just finish in or that you want to try and beat your time or um you know uh, do better than that but you you can only really run to the conditions so i hadn't i i didn't i didn't really have any um points in the to where I was like, I want to be at this time, I want to get there in this time, I want to be at this checkpoint in this time. Um, I, I kind of knew the, the record was 23 hours, but it's not, um, there wasn't a huge amount of data as to how quick people had run sections or anything like that. I couldn't oh, find it. No. So I just sort of ran, ran to how I felt really. Um, and probably, you know, I think the first time I got blown over on the, the top of near Kinder, the downfall it was at that point where i was like do you know what this is just gonna be about finishing this today there's, like <laughs> there's no way that you're gonna be able to push for for this all of the way through because the weather did keep up for most of the <laughs> most of the weekend so um yeah it's just about putting one foot in front of the other when you get to that so point. what was the weather like did you get snow or was it just sort of storms and yeah. cold and wet road no snow at all, at all really and it was it was relatively mild for the time of to the time of year but we had torrential rain um which was sort of sideways uh that came on after about four or five hours and we had gale force winds which um were horrendous for um probably the first 12 hours of the race and then it was still windy but it, it quite calmed down a little um that's when the rain then came um, was there any prospect of it being either temporarily cooled off or cancelled or was it just it's this after race get on with it yeah so they have um for the full spine it's quite um it's quite common for it to be diverted or for them to hold you so if some weather was coming in, particularly snow, I think as you get further up, obviously towards Scotland, um, if the snow um, comes in or the weather conditions are particularly bad, they've been known to hold people at checkpoints um, and then not release them until the weather sort of passed through. This, this one here had a few diversions pop up along the way because it follows, um, you yeah, know, there's some rivers and stuff that had burst their banks and you just couldn't get through. <laughs> so um, there were, there was one diversion I think at the beginning which we knew about which had been put in a day or two before and then there were some other diversions that they frantically sort of made up as say as the weekend went on to try and keep people safe um, 
So, you know, if you've been running for 40 odd hours and you're a bit delirious, trying to, uh, you know, navigate some flood plains and stuff where you can't see where, where the river is. Yeah. Not, uh, I not guess that thing, it's that long a race, isn't it? The people at the back might end up with almost completely different sections of course to people at the front because of yeah. how long's passed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, aid stations and how often are they? And, you know, if you do a Centurion event, you, they're seldom more than sort of 10 miles apart, are they? So you could pretty much run with a bottle of water in your hand and a packet of biscuits. Yeah. There's no buffet on this one. <laughs> so those Centurion events, I know we keep referring to them, but they're a good benchmark, aren't they? They were, um, yeah, they, 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 they put on amazing food on all of them. Um, this race is, is almost self-supported. So there are, um, there's one official checkpoint at halfway, which is where you, uh, where you get your drop back, roughly halfway. So um, there is hot food, showers, um, and yeah, everything else that you could kind of need, and they'll serve you your food up and everything there. Um, and if you wanted to sleep, you can sleep there. There are then other smaller um, checkpoints, which are not classed as checkpoints. They're just, um, it could be that there was mountain rescue have a van and they kind of count you through um, but don't serve anything up and then there were random people along the course out in camper vans and stuff serving tea and coffee up to anybody that wanted it along the way which was quite a nice touch but yeah, there was main, the, the main checkpoints are halfway and then, other, and then there's another one at um, uh, where's the other one uh, near Malam Tarn there's another one there which um, serves hot tea and coffee, but there was no food or anything like that particularly laid on. Um, but you had it warm and dry. Um, so, so how do you feel yourself then for 50 miles that yeah, might just, take you, you to, up to over a day? Yeah, <laughs> I constantly eat. Uh, so I, for these sort of events, I just take whatever... Um, I enjoy generally eating, so like, what I know I'm going to be able to get in me. So for this, I took a combination of chocolate, lots of chocolate bars. I took some gels, um, and then I took a few sort of savoury snacks as well, so that you could like mini cheddars, that that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. um, so that you could, because your body wants different things at different stages, um, and that's the good thing about the Centurion events and the, and the Lakeland actually that I've done is that generally when you get to the checkpoint, whatever is at the checkpoint is what your body's craving at that time. I don't know how they Definitely, do it. Yeah. If it is salty stuff you need, it's always there. And so you have to take quite a variety um, of food. But for, for this, I took quite a lot of, um, I took a lot of chocolate, Mars bars, Snickers, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know how they would have performed in if we'd had sort of sub-zero temperatures. Um, it might have been a bit harder to get them down. That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I took that that sort of that sort of food. And what about fluids as well? Because you surely can't carry fifty miles. Yeah, so I, this was back. something that had really concerned me before the race. Was you have to do a bare grills and drink your own piss? Yeah, <laughs> not quite. I've been caught out many a times without water. Um, and I've also uh, been caught out from putting, filling my bottle up in streams and then mm. later. 
you know, getting like a really dodgy stomach. So <laughs> water I shouldn't have done, which tastes great at the time, but you know, it, it clearly has got something else in it. So, um, yeah, I was really concerned about this and I tried to do as much research as I could reading people's, um, sort of race reports about where they got water from. So I was like, I'm not, I can't carry, you know, um, four litres of water. I just, you just can't do it. And I remember from my records, there wasn't lots of um, flowing streams or water or anything because it's all very, you climb up and then it's flat and it's all bog. You don't, and the, the water that's there in these sort of golden peat bogs and you just, it just does not look appetizing. Um, but what I have got is a, um, a bottle with a filter on. So um, I find that that works, works well. And what I had to rely on was um, a combination of some people's goodwill along the way. So there were people out watching court, what, you know, watching in a few road crossings and they had um, sort of big um, barrels of water on them. So trying to scrounge water off people along the way and um, filling my filtered water bowl up with the cleanest kind of source that I could <laughs> find. Um, and even when I did the recce and stuff, because I was quite conscious, like particularly if you're doing the recce, because you are out on your own all day, and you're not going through many towns that have got mm. you know, pubs or anything like that to go into. I was really conscious. I just couldn't find much water. So, um, yeah, I just kind of, I did get, and that's how I got by. So a combination of scrounging it off strangers and, um, yeah, and then using the cleanest water source I could find with a bit of um, using the filter. Make it sound glamorous. <laughs> There's no McDonald's on course then, no? No McDonald's on course. I think you pass a couple of pubs, but they're all, um, you know, they're, uh, they're all closed. I do remember actually in the middle of the night, uh, I'm talking middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, we were in this little town and um, you... There was someone there with some, I'd been to McDonald's drive through and bought a load of tea. And they had, you know, the four, the little, the trays you get from McDonald's with the four drinks in. Yeah. Like eight of those or something, just all laid out with tea. They, they just, just bought some tea from McDonald's for runners as they were going past. Oh, that nice. Um, so, you know, there were just things like that that were a nice touch. Because um, you weren't really, um, it was an unsupported race, so you couldn't have any crew or anything like that out there with you. I was going to say, you, did your wife meet you on course at all? Or yeah, no. So they were, you were allowed to. People were allowed to go and spectate in areas, providing they are considerate to um, people along the way. But yeah, you're not allowed to. Um, you, it's not supported. It, I think that changed a couple of years ago. I think you used to be able to have a crew that went round with you. Um, but I should imagine as the race has got bigger, it's become a bit more of a headache for them. So um, Too easy she's it, got, you know, food and water, jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I've, I've done some races where I've been supported and um, it's it's not gone to plan, so it's always good to generally get on. Well, that's because some people are quite particular about the thickness of the watermelon when they're... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what you mean. I, mean, I never want to see that uh, that canal again, even though I live literally exactly. 100 metres from it. But that was a good day. It was a good day, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I've got to go back and finish that one day. Exactly. No, you shouldn't actually, because one I've got over here that I've finished Grand Union. <laughs> yeah, so leave it that's like. true. 
You there did you put go. up with me while I was miserable for hours on end. And uh, I think I still owe you for that to this day. Yeah, no, uh, poor you and who met me on that. And buddy me, I was having a low point in the year. Uh, much like that, I had six hours of me being absolutely miserable ass. <laughs> so yeah, props to people. It's, uh, it's glamorous, isn't it? Exactly. It's glamorous. So, um, what is the navigation then like? Were you mostly following people? You said you were like near the top sort of ten. So, yeah, were you so always close enough to follow someone, or did you end up lost in the middle of a bog? No, there was there were no gem. So, for the first couple of hours you can you can sort of see people in the distance that are in front of you um but you where i was in the field you couldn't rely on um you know following people necessarily Mm -hmm. um the you you get you get a map obviously they're compulsory so you have to take them a map of the route um and you have to take a gps um which can't just be a kind of line on your watch has to be a proper one that's got a map map on it so i borrowed that of a family member um and while it was light i was generally okay because i'd been across the course and you can 90 percent of it you can probably work out where you're going in the daylight um but as soon as night falls um there's no clear path or anything and it is you can't see in the distance so i was relying heavily on the old um on the old gps once the night fell and uh, there's a lot of night being January, so it's like pretty much dark at what five and light again. Yeah, I mean, well, no, I guess seven or eight, probably. Yeah, it's dark about five o'clock. Um, yeah, it's probably dark by nearly four, but I think because you're out in it, you don't, you're not really see you, your eyes adjust to it, don't they? So it doesn't mm. quite as early. Um, so yeah, you might, mo- I mean, most of it is in the in the in the dark, to be honest. Um, and even because the weather was so bad, there was no sun or anything like that. So it was just, it, it's pretty dark most of the time. So I was having to, I used the, the GPS or probably for a minute when it came dark, um, which is a bit of a pain trying to carry that <clears throat> and run, fall over. Um, this this event, I, for the first time ever, I had poles for this event. Um, which, cheat sticks. Cheat sticks, which I, I would never use. But after the recce, I was like, I can't cover this ground without it um, over any kind of speed because you don't know what you're putting your feet into. So rather than using them for support, it's more about trying to work out where your feet can go, <laughs> dive in. You know, you could be up to your waist in some bog somewhere and, you know, that's it's not a good look. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so trying to carry that, that you know, a GPS and your, and your cheat sticks trying to enjoy, eat and drink and that it's not it's not great um it is a bit of a pain so um i try to i try to not use it where i can but as soon as you your bright your mind starts playing tricks on you you then end up looking at it all of the time so i find that the, the longer the race goes on and the more tired you get the more doubt you have in your mind around are you going the right way and what can i do this all of that sort of thing so you end up looking at the damn thing all the time yeah, I, yeah, I look at it quite enough doing stuff like Lakeland where you've got relatively defined path, haven't you? Yeah. Never mind when you're basically in the middle of nowhere and you could be on the surface of the moon for all the yeah. things you can see. Yeah. But the moon's probably got better weather. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, so, yeah, it's so you end up using your GPS more. Obviously, the, it is a lot darker, as, as we said. 
Um, racing in winter at night time is a different experience to um, to doing it in the summer for obvious reasons. But I know when I've done summer events, I enjoy um, kind of the sun coming up and particularly if it's like in the height of summer, so it's coming up at sort of four or five in the morning, you, you might be getting dark at 10 o'clock at night and you're, it's something that I find that I can keep myself going because you don't have to run for that longer period in, in the night time. No. And obviously, particularly in Lake District, places like that, you can get some beautiful views. Well, yeah, this was just, yeah, dire, really. It, was, <laughs> <laughs> it, it came round when it came round, and it didn't really make any difference other than that you could see the horrible path that you had to, or the horrible ground you had to cover rather than you couldn't see it before. So, Yeah, you're really selling that. It's good. <laughs> but did you sleep at all? Did you get any hallucinations, or did you just kind of power through? Um, so yeah, this was i have had hallucinations before i think i've seen caravans and all sorts on you know the tops of mountains and all that kind of stuff um i don't this time i didn't have any major hallucinations which might um, might disappoint you but um because i've been awake for so long so you know 36 hours um well yeah 34 hours but you've been you've been awake longer than that the last probably 10 hours, I was in a state of sort of um, paranoia about going the right way, um, you know, wanting to give up um, and uh, particularly towards the end where I hadn't really realised what kind of race position or anything I was in. Um, as soon as I, that had kind of been established, I was then just like, oh my God, someone's going to catch me. Um, so. Yeah, there were plenty, plenty of dark moments, um, which I learned a lot from, but there were, um, yeah, there were no caravans this time. Uh, <laughs> How do you that. keep yourself going then? Because, you know, you, you, you're married with kids as well, so, you know, you, there is always that element of, I don't know, guilt, isn't there, that you could be at home playing Lego, yeah. eating takeout pizza and being a normal dad for the weekend yeah. risking going blind and being found frozen and not being yeah. sure until yeah. spring. so I'd say I had my I've done a few races where I've had some pretty low points and uh, you've uh, you've seen me at those <laughs> stages, um, over the years but I'd say that I had my real it was bittersweet really so I had probably my worst um, from a mental perspective from racing over this distance a lot of this a lot running over this kind of distance a lot of it is about mental your mental strength and like your determination to do it it's not necessarily about um, all about fitness mm. um, you can finish the event in 60 hours and not be you know super fit but you can be mentally strong to be able to keep yourself going and just keep going and plugging away um but i'd after about 40 miles where you know i'd, I'd, I'd been blown over it was absolutely soaking wet it was pitch black um and then this checkpoint that i hadn't actually been to on my recce because it um it was off course so i just carried on when i'd done the recce i hadn't gone down to a bit it just never was never coming and i went into um hebden bridge checkpoint um and i was like that's it i'm done I'm not going back out. Just this is just ridiculous. What on earth am I doing here? <laughs> I'm in quite a low, quite a um, central location. I can just phone um, 
phone someone they'll come pick me up it's no problem that's what i'm going to do i'm not i'm not going back out this is just ridiculous um and i had a bit of a sore knee but you know it's like you have sore everything so like as soon as you get downward spiral everything hurts and you can find an excuse for anything i'd slipped over loads of times trying to go down down some hills which are just like grass banks and you just you've got no grip i hadn't chosen the best kind of shoes for it um so i was like i'm not gonna i see i'm done anyway i got in there got changed out of my wet clothes had something to eat and then my knee was like really painful and they've got medics and everything they're making sure you're all okay and it was, it was one who was really great and she was like Look, just um you know just carry on um you, you, you're all right and but she didn't do that straight away she kind of like knew just to leave me and then just kept coming back every now and again and i was probably in this checkpoint for about an hour oh, i've ever ever really spent at a checkpoint <laughs> you know me over the years i'm normally in and out it's yeah. uh no messing around so i had something to eat and kind of then started to feel a bit better and i don't know how but i just convinced myself actually i wouldn't go back out um so i got all my stuff out of my bag but i was still doing it pretty slow and i was like i'm just done with this face i'm just going to get it done it's just um uh, you know i'm not going to finish anywhere um particularly where i want to but i'm just going to finish this and get it done and because i had that i have had a dnf um on the grand union canal race there's which in hindsight i think i should i could and probably should have carried on even if it had been oh, you know, so we hadn't discussed that before but i think you should have as well but there you yeah go. so in hindsight i think i should have carried on but because i was grumpy with myself so i wasn't getting the you know the time i wanted i allowed myself to to give up but that's always played in the back of my mind ever since so um i didn't i i try to use that as a as a counteract to, to make sure that i I do carry carry on so yeah i came out of the checkpoint um and then i got up onto the kind of onto the hills and the fells up there and i, I managed to start running cool. um, i've been running for hours <clears throat> and uh i've been walking and and then I, I just kind of got into a bit of momentum and started overtaking a few people and i don't know where i what i don't know what kind of place i was but i started overtaking a few people and i was like, i'm way stronger than what they are um so i never looked back after that and once i did you that was the place where really if you're gonna give up that's that's where you were gonna give up anywhere else was gonna create you issues because it would be hours before anyone would pick you up so that's always a bit of an incentive to to uh to carry on so so yeah, yeah. so yeah for anyone that didn't know you uh <laughs> finished in third position overall so at what point did you realize quite how well you were doing um with about six to eight miles to go <laughs> so because of uh because i had spent so long at that checkpoint um lots of people had come in and gone before me and um i had no idea where i was sort of going out from from there so and because there's not many there's no other checkpoints along the way so they can't sort of tell you where you're at or anything there's no screens to look at it's where you are in some some other um some other races so i had no idea um i i met up with a couple of people in the night who um was elaine who was the the lady the first lady um finisher who we um i finished together we finished together in the end and a couple of others 
and we sort of got each spurred each other on along the <clears throat> along the way in the night time um but then as you approach other sort of checkpoints and stuff you um and other places where people just stop and have a bit of a rest you have to then take care of yourself so if you don't want to stop you have to carry on because um otherwise it can be raced over for you so um yeah i had no idea where i was well i, th I thought i was probably because a number of people had overtaken i thought i was probably in the sort of top 10 somewhere but i was it was literally probably about 10th is sort of where i kind of roughly thought i was um and then this because i was running with the first lady at this point six to eight miles from the end some um the photographer came out and I there's some really great videos of the spine race they do an update every day um and they there's a proper um company that puts together these awesome videos and um this um photographer or videographer whatever you want to call him had come out to, to video um us and elaine and i was and i said like, oh it's elaine because she's in first so i was like so no mate you're in third place and i'm like you're doing you are kidding me <laughs> been walking for the last two hours and you tell me i'm in third place and then you're like well how far is behind me is this guy who actually i think finished half an hour there was a guy called gary who we'd run with in the uh, in the night really nice guy but we'd left him quite some time ago and i was like um how far behind is he because like by now i was just like i just need to get to the end i don't care where i am yeah and then you're third and you're like shit uh, I better get kind of moving. Um, so hey, the guy couldn't tell me how far anyone was behind. So we just tried to push on as much as we could. And we felt like we were flying, but ultimately we were like almost crawling along, <laughs> trying to get to the end. Um, so yeah, it was a bit surreal because you do normally, I've been in some of those positions before and you haven't, like you do, you do know where you're at, but this I didn't. I genuinely did not know uh, where I was at. And actually there's another sort of, there's a mountain rescue race, um, which is just purely for the mountain rescue guys, but they start a bit later than us. And some of those have come through in front. Um, oh, right. So it's a different over the same course. So there were other people around and we thought, you know, that's why I probably played into the mix of not really knowing where I was at. Um, so yeah, he was video. So we, yeah, we, we tried to get a bit of a wriggle on after that. And then, um, I mean, you've run with many people on races before, but you sort of end up playing a bit of cat and mouse, don't you? So one of you feels a bit better and you move a bit further forward. And, you know, so we were running together, but not side by side for the whole time. So, you know, one of us would catch them up and then, you know, half an hour later, we'd catch up again and yeah. we're trying to spur each other on. Um, and, uh, you know, it was then just trying to, trying to get to the end. So did you make a conscious decision to finish together or...? You just not outsprint each other. Yes, I think we. So we hadn't really made a pact to to do that, but um, as we were coming, you know, and getting to the last couple of miles, where you're coming on the down off of the off of the tops into into Hawes, um, we were because everything. You, I'm going to really sell the race now, but your body's broken by then. <laughs> everything hurts. So um, there were points where we were sort of trying to help each other. So one, one of us was going down and the other one would stop and we'd wait for the other one. And by the time we'd all done that, we were like, we just may as well just jog in to, together. Yeah. And 
uh, yeah, that's what we decided to do. And I think, you know, as we were going up the street, literally in the last half an hour, you know, one of us might have been in front for a little bit and then we do a way to help back. And I think I held back for Elaine and she did the same for me because you think you can muster up a bit of energy and then you have walk now. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, we hadn't really um, sort of openly spoken about it, but it was the sort of natural thing that was going to happen. And there's no point um, trying to kind of pip each other on the line when you've been out. I think actually I'd probably spent, I don't know, 15 hours or something with, with, you know, with Elaine just like running throughout the night. I spent more time running with other people than you do with your family over the weekend. No, and I bet it seemed even longer because uh, if you spend a couple of hours with someone on a normal hundred, it seems like forever. So fifteen yeah. hours on something like that, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it didn't it didn't feel right. So yeah, we didn't we didn't try and dip for the line or anything like that. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the kind of drama you like, isn't exactly. it? <laughs> so on yeah so this year you did it the 110 starters only 52 finishers which shows quite how hard yeah. it is and yeah the final finisher was only seven minutes within the cutoff so yeah yeah some people need every last minute of that 60 hours however easy it might seem on the face of it yeah they sure do i mean but you've got people from all walks of life doing it and some people go out to um, I think, could you walk all of this? You would, you could probably walk the majority. There'll be areas where you would need to run to make the time up. I think it would depend mm. how much you needed to sleep and rest. So that's where most of your time is taken so up. That's it, yeah, yeah. 35 hours, you can probably avoid sleeping, can't you? 60 hours, yeah. you're going to need some sort of... Yeah, you're going to need a bit more. So, um, yeah. I think you could, you can, obviously you can do it in six hours and you probably, you probably could do it if you had the right mentality without a huge amount of, you know, being super fit. You would have to have done that sort of thing before and be um, blooming determined to <laughs> your body through that. I can't imagine being out for that long, to be honest. But that, that is a long time. Like, I mean, yeah. I, did, I, I was a long time in Lakeland and I had, yeah, soul ankles and God knows what by the end. Yeah, of this it. is the um, thing, isn't it? Yeah, this is the thing. I think the um, well, everything's everything had sort of swollen up afterwards. I don't know whether it had during the race or not. I was quite lucky. I'd managed to keep my feet in pretty good condition because, from a, a kit perspective, that was the thing I was most kind of worried about was trying to keep my feet as dry as possible. You're not going to be able to keep them super dry. I can say if you're wading through bogs and it's yeah, I used two pairs of socks for the first time. So yeah, um, brought brought some trainers that were bigger, brought and wore two pairs of socks. So I wore genie socks underneath, and then I wore uh, seal skins over the top, and changed them at halfway. And actually, they kept the water out as much as they possibly could. There were times where water got in, but it soon. the, they soon came back out and my feet were in, in fact, I didn't have a blister. Right. was kind of unheard of for that kind of distance. So um, obviously when you're in the heat of the summer and that, you tend to blister a bit more, don't you? But uh, yeah, people's feet can be horrendous in this race because it's just so wet. So um, yeah, lots of Vaseline and stuff on them to start with, but that, that soon wears off. That's a good tip then. Any other sort of lessons learned then? 
lessons learned. Um, so I think from a kit perspective, and I said at the outset, my, my lessons learned from that, if anyone was considering it, was spend the money on the kit that you know you're going to absolutely need. So it's well worth having decent um, waterproofs. It's worth having, um, you know, spending the money on having seal skin socks and that. They're not really cheap, but it's worth spending the money on that, that sort of thing. Um, and making sure that your head torch is... Um, is not a, from Poundland? Not from Poundland. Yeah. Uh, you obviously need spare batteries and you could just spend in a lot of it in the dark. So have a good head torch. Um, and in terms of the actual race, um, I think... The biggest thing I took away was that was not giving up um, and persevering really and that actually I was genuinely in the worst mental state I've ever been in in a race when I went into Ebden Bridge and yet I, I carried on and I finished third and I would never have said that that was going to happen when I left when I left the checkpoint and it just yeah. you if you just carry on you know you you, um, you you can you can finish these things and ultimately, what happened was people ahead of me, uh, so I didn't overtake everybody, but people ahead of me gave up. So they, you know, they, they pulled out for one reason or another, and then that's how you end up, ended up in that position. Um, Brilliant. It's not just about overtaking people. And would you do it again, or would you try and do the full spine, or has this put you off doing even longer, stupider distances? Yeah, unfortunately, I'm one of these that I, you know, when you come out of a race, you know, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> ever and then a few days later um you think actually yeah i would so um yeah i would do it again i i now have a bit of an itch for the whole thing <laughs> um and i think my my wife said to me a few days afterwards when you i think i had the week off work afterwards to try and recover and i you're watching these the videos that come out um, for anyone that's listening, if you look them up on their Facebook page, they're, really, they're well worth a, a watch. They're really good. They're sort of only five or six minutes long every night and they put these videos out. So you're sort of following the race, the whole race for the rest of the week because the guys doing the whole thing, um, you know, they can take seven days to do it. Um, so um, it's really interesting to watch. But I think, you know, yeah, my wife said to me, yeah, she could... She calls it this glint in my eye, which obviously I, I have no idea of doing. But she's like to me a couple of days later, she's like, "You can uh, you can have a go at that one day, aren't you?" And I'm like, "No, no, of course I'm not." But uh, yeah, I think I, I I do have a bit of an itch for it. Yeah, so, I mean the the course record was, was set recently on the by Yasmin Paris at 83 hours, which is yeah. a ridiculously quick time. But that's it is, 83 yeah. hours. That's a long time. It is, yeah, it is. And I think this year was not that much longer either. John Kelly uh, won this year, and um, eighty-seven, just under eighty. Yeah, actually, yeah. So, so yeah, it's not that's not a huge amount longer. And I think considering the, the weather conditions and that, you know, that's a, a really good time. Um, let's let's be honest. You, no conditions are good up there in January. You, no. You're gonna get some pretty shit weather. Eighty-eight hours. That's just crazy. So, um, other question, and obviously this was presumably your main race of the year and you got it in, in January before COVID happened. So, did you know it was coming? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was quite lucky actually. Um, <clears throat> oh dear, choking, sorry. 
Demotion. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I did have uh, I did have some other races planned in. So I was going to do the Lakeland Hundred again. We've spoken about that before. That's easy for you, though, and that's just walking apart. Yeah, yeah. Compared to this, yeah. <laughs> compared to this, definitely. Um, yeah. So I was doing the Lakeland Hundred. Um, I was. I think. I think I've done it. I've done it four times, and um, so I wanted to do it for a fifth time because you get uh, another trophy if you do it five times. Five hundred mile kind of club. So. Um, but it's take that it's taken over my summer every every year. So I was um, I was hoping I could kind of get that out of the way, and then I could go somewhere else in the summer rather than the Lake District, like I've done for the last however many years. Yeah. Um, that means I'm going to have to go back there next year now. But that's the only thing I actually had planned in, um, and then I was going to do. I was thinking of, uh, in the lead up, I was going to do the Shires and Spires and the local race off to us here. But yeah, I was down for that as well before I got cancelled. So. Um, yeah, I hadn't signed up for anything else, and I haven't actually signed up for anything even next year at the moment. So the spine is full. So you've retired, basically. Yeah, retired. Yeah, the spine's full. No other racer to cut the mustard, so you stick to that's right. Right. The spine's full. So unless I can blag a place into there, um, it's yeah. bring them up and say, "Don't you know who I am?" <laughs> no, I don't think that'll work, mate. So. Yeah, it's quite lucky actually. I've got my. I was. I was going to do two hundreds this year. I think you can do. Um, personally, how my body kind of works, I think I can do two hundreds over the course of a year um, if I have a big enough sort of spacing between them. So you know, first, second half of the year, and perform relatively well. You know, not necessarily always to the best of your ability, but maybe to your best ability at that time. So. Um, yeah, I was hoping to do one in the second half, but that's not gonna not gonna happen now. So I'm just trying to muster the uh, the uh, enthusiasm to go out running, not too far from home, which you know is all right for a little while, isn't it? But <laughs> yeah, it does get a bit repetitive. Yeah, after it gets a, a bit gets a bit boring, so. especially the months we've had a run on your own. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So I'm just trying to tick over, really, and just doing a bit of training, um, just to I I do, you know I I struggle with as much as anyone, um, you know, trying to get motivation. A lot of people say, you know, because you finished third in races and stuff, that you know, oh, you must be superhuman and you 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 do you do a lot of training and that. And I I actually I, I struggle like everyone else trying to get out the door. I've got a young family. Um, they're still just about interested in me. Give it another couple of years, and they won't—they won't care whether I'm around or not. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, I can testify to that with my attitude. To be honest, uh, so um, yeah, I, I, I struggle as much, but it, it, it's consistency. So um, most of my training is is done relatively slowly. Um, yeah, I usually run to some sort of heart rate to make sure that I'm not trying too hard. Um, but the success is just running consistently, and unfortunately, that um, trying to get the motivation for that is difficult at times. Yeah, definitely, especially balance it with yeah, family, full time job, and trying to enjoy your life at the same time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, I suppose it's quite nice. It's felt like running's not taken over too much this year, um, because quite often you'd be, you know, now I would be in real peak training mode if I was doing the Lakeland Hundred and. 
now I'd be um, out at weekends for long periods of time and stuff. Well, it's only about a month or so, isn't it? Or yeah. over a month or so, yeah. So that's been quite nice. But equally, you don't want to put on too many pounds. Yeah. <laughs> Gifted, mate. That's been my about, problem recently. I am about, I probably shouldn't really be saying this, but I am about five kilos heavier than uh, my kind of lightest rate, uh, weight when I was running the, uh, the Lakeland 100. That, that's just a, a fuel tank for your running muscles. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I need to keep that at bay. Cool. That, and then one more question then. Um, okay. How do you feel about being the sort of bad influence that leads your club mates astray and gets them to sign <laughs> up for increasingly stupid races? Uh, I feel like taking <laughs> the mantra over from one of our other club mates that doesn't run anymore. There you go. In it. Um, I find it quite amusing. I I, I have to admit, mate, when I found your, you doing the Lakeland 100 was really amusing. <laughs> because uh, obviously I did it. I ran the 50 with my wife that year. She'd never done anything like that. I've never seen anyone look so happy to run a 50 mile race as your wife. I don't know what, what you had. You are normally life, so positive about races. So positive. And you just love it. Um, yeah. And seeing you out on the course just like it was so grumpy and in pieces and it was just like i'm never doing this again oh well the worst bit is you you know it's your fault of the trans grand canaria in the year yes but most of that going this is horrible why did i ever listen to chris when he started about this race and i still did the lakeland and then like we got to the first hill and i just like i don't like hills <laughs> <laughs> you I've done it again. <laughs> and you don't like you don't even train or run hills, even like here, you don't do any hill training. No, it's, I mean that's it. I ran Grand Canary in February and that was it. That was my hill yeah. training for a July race. But So it was a real source of amusement for me that. It's just um, yeah. And you two just sort of happier and cheerful every time <laughs> yeah, you pass. So. Well, I was just you know, my wife had never done anything like that before. So um yeah, I was just keeping her company, really. So it was quite nice just sort of trotting along, having a bit of a, a nice day, chatting to people and, you know, not not being grumpy because people are in your way or anything. Like, you know, True. and you were like, yeah, you're quite enthusiastic when you started. We saw you start. You got up that first hill. You came around the corner. You were like, hey. Yeah, that's just halfway up. I remembered it was a hill. And it yeah. Just, yeah. And then, I don't know, 15 hours later or something, we saw you. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, I, I kind of expected footpaths rather than just randomly wandering across flooded riverbeds pretending it was a footpath, yeah. you know. Well, th this spine race doesn't have many footpaths. Yeah, I like saying that though. There is a path around most of the Lakeland 100 now, but the, yeah, the spine race is not. an area, that's a great race. It's rock hard. The middle bit's good. Smashes your legs in. What a race! It's beautiful. Yeah, the middle bit is the beginning and end bit. You're running along like an old oh yeah, but you forget bed, that. Aren't you? you forget that dry riverbed. That's exactly. Ten k. Yeah, ten k of crazy yeah. paved riverbed, which at least is flat because the rest of it isn't. It's you know. Yeah, I was I was in bits going along that, and I couldn't uh, I couldn't run it. I'm embarrassed to say I had to walk most of that. Oh, I only ran it because I was with some Irish guys I met up with and we just, yeah, they dragged me along and we, yeah, we must have made like 30 places up in the last yeah. 10k, it was ridiculous, we were whipping past people. 
It's a great little idea. Just need to time it more often with half term, mate. That's yeah. I mean. No, I looked for next year and it's not either. So it's a very inconsiderate. Cool. Okay. Well, I would ask you next running challenges, but you haven't got any. So there you go. No. So if people want to follow your exploits, are you on Twitter, Instagram? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I think it's Ultra Brookers on on Twitter. I couldn't tell you what it is on Instagram. To be <laughs> couldn't tell you. But you'll, uh, you'll never be a dead famous influencer if you're not on Instagram. Which no, is no, I, I, selfies and you know you I get my out. source of amusement from uh, people like you. <laughs> watching, uh, watching you. Uh, posting stuff and uh, particularly your nodding dog uh, videos when you're doing your your run. Yes, that's uh, they're quite amusing. Yeah, definitely. The other months I was doing a lot of videos with a dodgy limp, and it was yeah. You need to you, you need to work on that. I mean, <laughs> if you're an influencer, influencer, you need to uh, you need a selfie stick or something, mate. Yeah, I need a selfie stick with a uh, motion control or whatever. And that's I need it. To, I need yeah. a perfect six pack. I'm not sure which one. There you go. If, if there's get. anyone, if there's anyone listening out there, and uh, <laughs> that can provide these products, and uh, you'll you'll do a review on them, won't you? Definitely. I, I'm easily sold. So you know, you're an influencer. Yeah. Um, to followers, <laughs> out to thirty people. Yeah. So. Oh, it's not that many. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, well thank you very much for coming on it's it's yeah i wanted okay. to get you on because it's certainly an unusual race and normally we do talk to people a bit more normal should we say sort of middle <laughs> of the pack, back of the pack you're somewhere yeah. off the front there with your podium finish on a ridiculously hard race but <laughs> it's good to show that kind of you know people can do that who aren't full-time athletes and are holding down jobs and families and stuff yeah yeah you can do it most of it is meant is a mental it's the mental aspect rather than the fitness. Excellent. Cool. Well, thank you much for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Chris for that. And I hope that helped to try and convey the sheer challenge and difficulty of this race. Most of these interviews I've come out of keen to sign up for next year. I have to say in this case, I'm quite happy to stay at home in the warm, eating pizza in January and let other people endure it. I may well be easily influenced by Chris, but this is certainly one race you can't trick me into entering. If you like the podcast, then please rate it on iTunes and tell your mates. And if there's any other races that you'd like to see featured, then please drop me a message. Upcoming shows include Snowdonia Ultra and Race to the King. Game over.